Welcome to Cookbook Club. We are home cooks from Portland, Oregon. Every month we choose a cookbook, we make lots of recipes from it, and then we get together to share some of the dishes we made. We talk about what worked, what didn't, and decide whether this is a cookbook we can't live without. I'm Sarah Gray. And I'm Renee Wilkinson. This week we're talking about Ama, a modern Tex-Mex kitchen by Joseph Centeno and Betty Halleck. Joseph Centeno is a Los Angeles-based chef and restaurateur with roots in San Antonio. Betty Halleck is a journalist, food writer, and former deputy food editor of the Los Angeles Times. Together, they publish this book, which draws from regional Mexican cuisine and influences from the American South, Germany, Poland, and Morocco. Ama was published in 2019. It's a bold and beautiful book with flavors to match, and we can't wait to chat about it. It really is bold, and it really is beautiful. And that's actually how it came into our Cookbook Club queue, is because someone from Cookbook Club, Betsy, just saw it on a library shelf, right? Yeah, and it's, like, fluorescent. So colorful. The photography is really, like, saturated, but not in that 1970s Allison Roman way. It's not oversaturated. Yeah, it's not oversaturated. It's just very, very bright, which is kind of how I think of Tex-Mex cuisine. Mm -hmm. The spine of the book is, like, the sort of, like, electric yellow. It's really, like, pleasurable to look at. And the food in it, I think, looks, including the cover photo, it just looks fun and light Mm -hmm. and, like, summertime springy. Totally. Totally. It really evokes that feeling. So it's especially fun to look through it this time of year when it's kind of drab and gray outside, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. But how was it to cook from it is another question. Yeah. Well, that is another question, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we approach this book. I should say I approach this book with a little bit of caution because I know that it's a chef written cookbook. Mm -hmm. And those always have certain characteristics that I am not always like a massive fan of. Yes, that's definitely true. Sometimes it feels like the author is kind of taking for granted the fact that maybe you don't have like a staff of people who are in charge of making like fresh salsas and like condiments and components of a recipe that take a lot of time and dedication. Yeah. And chefs are known for their nesting doll recipes. Yes. When you are a person who is trying to make dinner and you're short on time, because when are we not? Right. And then you look up the recipe and you're like, I was supposed to make a recipe out of this yesterday so that I could make this recipe. Mm -hmm. It really throws a wrench in the works. That might be how the recipe is good in its purest form. But like when you're writing a cookbook, you know that you're writing it for home cooks. Right. You know, so it's like, how can you modify that base recipe to make it more home cook friendly? Yeah. I definitely ran into that in this book. I ran into that as well. You know, I think that's something that we saw before with Joshua McFadden in Six Seasons. That's the challenge for a chef writing a cookbook is that you really do need to adapt it for the home cook. Mm -hmm. It's going to have a lot of nesting doll recipes in it. Mostly what we mean by that are like sauces, components, Mm -hmm. you know, ingredients essentially into the recipe yeah do you want to just have this cookbook dominate your refrigerator you know right. and your cooking style really yeah. so yeah. that you don't mind having like right. five condiments essentially in your refrigerator yeah. at all times because you use those things so much in your yeah. weeknight cooking yeah, for sure and so for me I think that was where I ran into some problems is like I don't cook Tex-Mex a lot ever really yeah. and although I enjoy eating Tex-Mex I mostly enjoy eating it like in Texas or like in the southwest and Mm -hmm. i don't really seek it out here it can be sort of like a destination style of eating Mm -hmm. and because we don't live in san antonio you know i mean you know we have our friend chelsea from our cookbook club grew up in san antonio and so she like has a real soft spot for tex-mex and grew up eating tex-mex a lot 
you and I are Oregon girls. So, yeah. you know, it's not as much of like a, a fixture in our sort of like growing up food journey. But we did eat some really delicious things out of this book. There's a really wide range of recipes. So one thing I find interesting about this book is there's a lot of like really ambitious things in here, which uh-huh. are not necessarily the things that I've made. Like there's an octopus recipe. <laughs> there's a lobster recipe. Like I don't eat a lot of lobster and octopus and I'm certainly not preparing that for my family. It makes sense to me that those are in this cookbook because yeah. like the proximity of sure. Texas, Mexico, where those two cultures kind of meet and yeah. intersect, yeah. you know, that's the local food. Yeah. But it doesn't translate as well to other parts of the country where we don't have access to like fresh lobster and octopus on a regular basis. Exactly. You can, but it's like a bazillion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. But then I think it's interesting because there also seem to be a number of recipes in this book that are extremely simple. Like what? Uh, One of the ones that I really liked is the albondigas with tomatillo salsa. Mm -hmm. So you just make a simple tomatillo salsa, like a salsa verde, essentially. And then you just make these meatballs. They're really simple. They're really delicious. The salsa verde goes really well with them. Uh And like there aren't any nesting doll recipes. It's just a simple meatballs with a sauce. Awesome. I really liked that one. I made that for cookbook club. It was just part of a larger meal and it worked really well. If I made it at home, I probably would serve it with like rice or tortillas or something like that. Uh And then I made the borracho beans. Did you make the borracho beans? I did make the borracho beans. I feel like you can't pick up this book without making the borracho beans. And the reason is because that recipe is the building block for half the other recipes in the book. Exactly. (laughs) I did not intend to make the borracho beans, but I ended up making them. Every recipe has the borracho beans in them. So borracho means drunk in Spanish. So they're basically beans that you cook in beer. Uh-huh. Um, in like a Mexican lager. I think they're fine. Did you use cranberry beans? I made them multiple times. Okay. Um, I just used pinto beans. Okay. This most recent time. I think last time I did use cranberry beans. Both times they were fine. I feel like the cook time was a little off because I ended up with beans that were not as soft as I thought they should be after kind of a long time cooking. They're dried beans, but were they pretty freshly purchased? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I had that experience, but I was using pinto beans mm-hmm. and I was using them from the Rancho Gordo company which okay. is like a really fancy yeah, fabulous bean company but my problem with them is that I bought a pound of beans for myself as like a gift during oh. the pandemic yeah and then I saved them because they're special you know yeah. and two years later like they're not gonna be <laughs> as easy to cook yeah I get that so mine also took longer and double the time that they yeah. had in there and yeah. the time they had was like pretty generous it was like this could take an hour and a half or two and a half hours right. depending on the age of your beans right so mine probably took like four and a half hours yeah totally well and I feel like you could probably adapt this to the instant pot pretty easily because that's usually how I do my beans mm-hmm. and I think the pressure cooking does help to soften them but the thing is If I'm going to do beans on the stove and not, you know, not just do them in the Instant Pot, if I'm going to like do a special recipe, I'd much rather make the cowboy beans from the Hello, My Name is Tasty cookbook. Mm -hmm. They have meat in them. This has a little bit of bacon, but that's all. Those cowboy beans have a whole ham hock in them and some bacon. So like they're meatier by design, but also I think it's a better recipe. I wouldn't say it's like Tex-Mex necessarily, but like it does have sort of like reminiscent flavor. So it has like tomatoes and onions and chilies in it. Uh And then the pork, which really helps. So if I'm going to make one kind of beans, it's not going to be the borracho beans. I liked the borracho beans. I thought they had a good flavor and a different flavor than I would come up with on my own. 
he calls for ancho chilies a lot in yeah. here, which I'm not used to cooking, and I couldn't actually find them fresh. I looked yeah. at a few different stores. I ended up finding them at Winco, which is like our big, I love Winco, by the way, yeah. if you guys live in Washington, Idaho, Nevada, California, or Oregon, which is what <laughs> Winco stands for. It's like our big like budget grocery store, but they have an awesome Hispanic aisle. They also yeah. have a great like Asian aisle. I love the diversity in their customers and also the products that they carry. So I found dried ancho ch- chilies there and used them. They have almost like a minty kind of herbal flavor to yeah. them. Did you experience that with those chilies? I don't think I actually used the anchos. I okay. think I used jalapenos. I mean, the, chilies are hard because I have kids. Right. And it makes things spicy. And the ancho you know. didn't make them spicy. Yeah. But I also like took upon this recipe as a project. Yeah. You know, so I went to the grocery store right. seeking this for a week or two to get the, all the ingredients together. It wasn't right. really that hard. It's just that my time is limited, you know. Mm-hmm. Could have just like done that in an evening, probably. But to me, it was worth it. Okay, well, that's good to know. And then what did you use the barracho beans for? Because there's many, I mean, you could eat them plain, but it seems like they are also used in like a bunch of other recipes here. Yeah, the recipe he uses for barracho beans is one pound of dried beans. So that makes like a big pot of Mm -hmm. beans. I ended up using it because I was trying to make huevos rancheros, which I did successfully make. Okay. But let me tell you about that recipe. <laughs> After making it, I can look back and be like, oh, like you don't have to do all these things. Like you could have just used canned refried beans yeah. or you could have just used jarred salsa, yeah. you know, but instead in the recipe, you're making everything from scratch. Okay. So that's why in part it took me like two weeks to make that recipe because I start scanning it and I'm like, oh, OK, I'm going to have to make a fresh salsa. I'm going to need to get these ingredients right. together. And then I look a little closer and I'm like, oh, wait, actually, I have to make refried beans. And then I look a little closer like a day or two later. And it's like, oh, I have to make like this barracha bean recipe. Yeah. Like I have to make like a whole thing a whole of beans. Recipe. Like yeah. that's a different day. There's no way I'm doing this in one day. Right. So I had to make the bracha beans, which were good. You know, I don't know if I would like go to this cookbook just for that recipe. Right. And then after you make the bracha beans, then you make them into refried beans. Right. Have you done? Did you end up doing this? I didn't do that one. Okay. It's not a hard process, but it calls for, you know, like two cups or something like that of the cooked bracha beans. Okay. So I'm still left with like three quarters of that original bracha bean recipe, which is fine. We'll go through it. But then to make the refried beans, it's not a hard process, but it is like another recipe. So then you make that. And then with the huevos rancheros, you um, end up like frying the corn tortillas, which thankfully don't have to make from scratch. Yeah, that would be a bigger pain. But um, (laughs) and that was good. Like, I am not in the habit of doing that, of like frying your corn tortillas to make them just like a little bit firmer and also like oil. Hello, that's delicious. To make it delicious. Yeah. Yeah. I liked the reuse of oil. Like you, you know, fry the tortillas in the oil and then that's what you end up frying the eggs in. Oh, okay. It's not hard to make huevos rancheros. You know, it's just like assembly and like making a couple things. And yet that particular recipe took me like two weeks. Managed to make it really difficult. Yeah. So, I mean, do you it, think it was so much more delicious than if you had used refried canned beans and store-bought salsa? I mean, his refried bean recipe was better than what you're going to get from a can. Mm-hmm. The salsa was also like fresh tasting and delicious, but like fairly mild. So yeah. my kids totally ate it. It That's was great. not too spicy for them. If I were to make it again on a weeknight, I would use canned refried beans because like who has the time right. to do that? I mean, like two right. days of making beans and then making them into refried beans. I would do 
do the same method of like frying the corn tortilla. I thought that mm-hmm. was totally awesome. And like, how hard is it to make an egg? You know, right. It would be a good weeknight meal if you simplified it and didn't try to make everything from scratch. Right. What I liked about that for a weeknight meal with kids at the table is that it's like an assemble your own it's sort of dinner, like build your own situation. Yeah. yeah. So like my kid who can't have eggs right. can't have refried beans. I ended up putting some barbecue jackfruit on his and like he still had it with like the salsa and on the tortilla and like didn't feel like he was being left out. And there's all the condiments on the table of like sour cream if you want it, guacamole and avocados, lime, black olives because my kids like that. Yeah. A nice alternative to like taco night. Yeah, totally. Just shake it up a little bit. And I I love eggs like yeah, there's a lot of breakfasty things in here. And I do love those flavors of when you're bringing sort of like a breakfast eggy element into the beans and the chilies and eggs just pair so well with all that. I use my barracho beans to make the barracho bean dip. Oh, how was that? It was quite good. Okay. So when we had our cookbook club event, I made barracho bean dip and I also made the queso, mm-hmm. which is really good. What makes the queso so good? What makes the queso special is Velveeta. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It has Velveeta in it. It also has Monterey Jack and cheddar cheese. Um, And he calls for this like Swiss melting cheese. Oh, yeah. Which I wasn't able to find. But I found a similar like sort of Alpine, you know, Uh Swiss melty cheese. I think you could even use like Gruyere there. Um, and then it has half and half in it. I mean, it's just all cheese and dairy, and it's very gooey and delicious. The thing about queso, and I think this is probably true across the board with queso, is that you have to eat it when it's warm. Because mm-hmm. it really starts to solidify as soon as it comes to room temperature, and then it's not as good. It's like fondue, like you need to keep it warm. He does have a cashew queso. Yeah, which I didn't try, I'm but cu- I'm curious. I'm curious, too, yeah. but I didn't want to make a whole batch of that for me to be the only one right. who eats it. Right. I mean, the queso is like, it's very decadent, but it's queso. Like, it's delicious. And also give the people what they want. Yeah, right. exactly. Like, people have strong feelings about queso. Yeah. And it's always, like, scrutinized very closely. (laughs) So I feel like the queso that wins every time is the kind that has Velveeta in it. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's what makes it gooey. Don't look at a a dish that is entirely made of, like, fat, basically, and be like, how can I make this healthier? Right, right. Just go with it. Maybe just don't eat the whole container. And the reason why that works is because the Velveeta has that sodium citrate in it, which is, like, what makes American cheese gooey. Oh, yeah. That's so that's how you so get the texture. That's how you get the texture. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then that barracho bean dip is is pretty good. So, again, it calls for two cups of the barracho beans. So you're not going to use them all up. And then it's got cream cheese in it and spices and chilies and cheese. So it's like pretty decadent. That sounds great. It's really good. Yeah. I haven't had a bean dip in like a long time, but yeah, that was something dip, man, my mom so used to make. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yummy. It's so also, that's a great, like, sort of a nacho-y deliciousness. And he has a whole chapter of this cookbook devoted to nachos. Yeah, which is pretty awesome. It's not in the front of the book. Like, it's not an appetizer. It's right. like, you know, there's sort of the breakfasty things, and then there's, like, vegetables mm-hmm. and seafood and sort of meat mains, mm-hmm. and then there's, like, a whole section devoted to nachos. Yeah, which is an unusual way to organize the book. But there is a bar, Bar Ama that Joseph Centeno owns. And so I'm wondering if like nachos are a big thing there. And so mm-hmm. it's like its own thing. So his restaurant is in LA or it's in I San don't know. Antonio. He lives and in LA. LA, but he's from San Antonio. 
What else did you make with the bracha beans in it? I made the turkey chili. Oh, how was that? It was quite good. The thing I really love about it is that it calls for leftover turkey. So there is a Tex-Mex roast turkey recipe in this book. And then there's the turkey chili recipe, which calls for both leftover turkey and for barracho beans. Okay. Which is great. I didn't make the roast turkey, but you know what I did make is a Thanksgiving turkey that I didn't eat all of and that I froze. So I had leftover turkey, cooked turkey in my freezer. And so this became significantly easier because I could just pull out the cooked turkey and put it in. And this turkey chili is like loaded. He also says if you don't have leftover turkey, you can use a pound of ground turkey and a pound of ground beef. It seems like you could just use a leftover rotisserie chicken too. Yeah, you could use whatever really for the meat. But it's like onions and garlic and chilies and chili powder and like lots of spices and bay leaves and tomatoes turkey stock, which I also had left over from Thanksgiving, roast turkey, barracho beans. The Tex-Mex roast turkey apparently yields something called chili butter, which you use to roast the turkey. And it also yields some gravy. So he has you also throw in any leftover chili butter or gravy that you have into the into the chili. Okay. So it's like kind of a free for all. I didn't obviously have gravy or chili butter because I didn't make that, but I thought it was really good. It was tasty. It was like a solid chili. I was just like so grateful to have a place to put my leftover turkey. Yeah. And and (laughs) put it in something that's just not going to taste like Thanksgiving leftovers, you know? Exactly. And it made me think of my friend who the day after Thanksgiving, they always make um, pasole rojo, which with their leftover turkey. Uh And it's like, yeah, you turn a Thanksgiving turkey into something totally different. That's cool. Which is pretty cool. We should probably take a quick break, but we really have, I feel like, only gotten to the tip of the iceberg on how many recipes we made. So hang around and we'll talk more. Dropcloth Samplers is a line of hand-drawn embroidery samplers, printed and ready for you to jump in and start stitching right away. Each pattern is hand-drawn by Rebecca Rinquist in her Portland, Oregon studio, and printed for you to embroider with your own color and thread choices, like coloring book pages, but for embroidery. And with Rebecca's custom classes on Creative Bug, she's with you every step of the way. You can find Dropcloth Samplers on Instagram at Dropcloth or online at dropclothsamplers.com. What other recipes, Renee, did you make? Did you make any that seemed quite simple? I made the cornmeal pancakes with maple and molasses syrup from the breakfast section. It was very easy. It was not a nesting doll recipe. I mean, it was let me like slightly, but like you didn't have to flip pages to another recipe. Totally annoying way. Yeah. Yeah, So you make the maple molasses syrup first, which is like really easy. Also very unique to me. Like I haven't had syrup like that before yeah it's like one part molasses to three parts maple syrup huh and you warm it on the stove so everything kind of marries together yeah and it's very like almost savory syrup right interesting almost like smoky like just a lot of depth. that real molasses flavor yeah so that was That's interesting a lot of molasses it is a lot of molasses and i actually knew when i was making the recipe like i don't think this is going to go over super well so i halved the recipe just so that yeah. way you know we didn't have like a ton of maple molasses syrup that no yeah. one wanted yeah um the cornmeal pancakes were easy and delicious okay so Good. that would be one that i would make again if i felt like I needed some cornmeal pancakes in my life. Yeah, totally. It's hard with pancakes because I already have some go-to recipes that have like tons of protein in it, which I really like because my kids don't 
notice that and like I don't notice that when I'm eating it like right. oh these are paleo pancakes or something right. you know like they right. just taste delicious yeah just serving regular like pancakes it to me it like sends a rush of like sugar to my body totally. and it doesn't really help I don't feel like it's like the best nutritious thing right. for my body Not in a particular great way to start the day yeah, but that was an easy recipe. Another easy one that I think we both made was the mom's rice recipe. Yeah. My general feelings were that it was pretty bland. Yeah. I don't know how it was for you. That recipe is interesting because it's like a rice dish and it's made actually like the secret ingredient is V8 juice, which I thought was interesting. And he just like goes on and on about this like great flavor. It says my mom's secret ingredient is V8 vegetable juice, which gives it loads of flavor. Did it for you? No. No, me either. I think that his ratio was wrong on okay. that if he wanted people to experience loads of flavor. Right. Like, I believe that that might be how his, his mom does it. And he right. probably has a lot of, like, wonderful feelings when you eat something that your mom made and you love and it's comforting. For me, it was, like, two parts V8 juice to, like, three parts vegetable stock or chicken yeah. stock. And I think that maybe it needed to be, like, four parts V8 juice right. to one part stock or right. water. Because V8 does have a ton of flavor, but I felt like it got lost here totally yeah it was very mild and uh i also hate cooking rice on the stove i know yeah. that that like other people are like <gasps> you know it has it's so much better and superior though but it's just a pain in the butt you yeah. know and i'd rather just put it in the rice cooker or the instant pot and like right so yeah and also he has you toast the rice which i get like that does sure. help the flavor but it wasn't sure. it didn't help the flavor enough for me i thought it was yeah fine not great i probably wouldn't make that again I made a recipe called Mom's Green Enchiladas, speaking uh -huh. of his mom, which was very simple. You make a tomatillo salsa. It's got queso fresco, cooked chicken, onion, cilantro, corn tortillas, and cheese. So That's you, all. It's very simple. So you could use a leftover rotisserie chicken totally. for that. Yes. It just calls for cooked chicken, so it's like not fancy. And corn tortillas, not flour tortillas, That's right? right? Which yeah. is the superior way to make enchiladas. <laughs> yeah. And they came out really great. I mean, they were very simple. Like, I would say they were not like, you know, over and above a complex flavor. But mm -hmm. I really love the story on these ones, which is like in the head note, he talks about he how he played lacrosse in middle school and high school. And after practice, they would be like so hungry that his mom would make he and his brother each their own pan of these enchiladas. Wow. And as I was watching my boys who are like much younger eat these, I was thinking like, yeah, this like kind of ravenous high school athlete kind of hunger yeah. is like probably going to be coming my direction. And like, I could see this being something that was just like so comforting. It's rich because it's got the cheese, but it's also like, it's got all that protein in it and it's like going to really fill you up. I thought it was good. The best recipe that I made from this cookbook that I would be happy to make again and again is the chicken and chili tortilla soup. Mm. It was fabulous. It has like a fairly long ingredient list, but don't get scared. I found it pretty easy to make. The first step is that you fry tortilla strips, like corn tortilla strips, which I haven't done before and wouldn't be something that I would really like try to seek out on my own. Uh -huh. But they were so delicious. I mean, you're basically like making corn, like tortilla yeah. chips. You know? I do just, that sometimes. Oh, you do? Yeah. Like what? Like it's if it's just taco night or something. Yeah. Um, and my kids go nuts. Yeah. They were so good. I should and have made a easy. double batch. Sometimes I do them in the oven too. Oh, okay. Like just make sure that they have oil all over them uh -huh. and then just like lay them out, make sure they're not overlapping. Okay. It's a little bit of a job, but then you can just like fry them up in the oven basically. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, those were fabulous. The, I made this full disclosure on a Saturday when okay. I had a two hour block of time to just like cook right. and deal with my mental health. <laughs> 
to be honest. Um, And so it didn't feel hard or overwhelming. I think that it could possibly be a weeknight meal like you know whenever you go through a recipe for the first time especially if it's from a cookbook that was written by a chef like do it on a weekend and plan for some time around it totally so then the next time you can make it and be like okay well this is what I'm going to do differently to make it more friendly for a weeknight that said I think that you could make this on a weeknight in 30 minutes if you were like efficient yeah what I loved about it is that you're building all of this flavor with these like fabulous chilies like serrano chilies it has chili powder in it it has those ancho chilies that i talked about earlier it has poblano chilies it's a it, lot of chilies but it was yeah. not spicy like okay. it was not hot spicy it was a, really flavorful yeah and it was a little bit like warming on your lips which i had to like tell my kids yeah. you know this is not like hot spicy this is just like warming your mouth right right um i love the way you sold that yeah some good marketing oh thank you at the end is when you add the chicken and so what's cool about it is like you've actually built all of this flavor without using like a lot of flavor from the meat yeah so for me that was great for my kid who doesn't eat meat because then I could just ladle off some before I added the meat into his own saucepan and then add cooked sweet potatoes to his Oh, okay so he still had like the same kind of delicious layered flavor stew you end up adding boneless, skinless chicken thighs that you've cut up into pieces. Okay. And so you add them at the end and they're cooked in like two minutes. Oh, yeah. Like very fast. The whole house smelled amazing. Oh, I bet it did. I planned to have my mother-in-law over for dinner that night and she's from Oklahoma. And so they're very familiar with like Tex-Mex flavors over there. And it's hard to get great Tex-Mex food out in the Pacific Northwest. So this was a total treat for her. It like totally knocked her socks off. It really like knocked off the socks of everybody at the table. This recipe in particular is the magic of what cookbooks are about, where you can follow the steps and ingredients and like make something that tastes like another person made it, you know, (laughs) like like I felt like I made something that I never would have made on my own. Right. It just tasted fabulous. That's great. Yeah. So that I'm going to have to go back and make that. It was it was a total winner. Yum. And also it made like tons of soup, like enough for a crowd. So that's like a great recipe to make when you have a bunch of people coming over. You make that soup. You make some queso and some bean dip. Oh, yeah. Get some chips. You've got a party. Can I tell you what you should drink with that party? Please do. Is this drink called the nacho, which is he describes it as a spicy, sweet, tart, chili lime shrub um, that punches up this version of a margarita. So it has tequila blanco in it, Campari. I love Campari. Yeah. And so this recipe was like really fun. It was a really different kind of drink. It includes making a chili lime shrub, which is a little bit annoying because that's like a nesting doll recipe. But how long does the shrub take to make? I love a shrub. I'm not a drinker. I mean, you can make the shrub and have that be like a versatile non alcoholic drink on its own it calls for white wine vinegar but that's not like wine you know it's supposed to sit for three days though before you use it so that is like again you have to kind of back out your timeline what was kind of a surprising twist to me about this recipe (laughs) is that he says in the head note that it's named after the adult film star Nacho Vidal um, who's reportedly a fan of nachos And so I'm like reading this recipe late at night, like, oh, this sounds really good. I should like add these ingredients to my grocery list. And like, who is Nacho Vidal? And then I went down a very dark road for about 10 minutes (laughs) Googling who Nacho Vidal is. And I would like those 10 minutes of my life back because I have now seen things that I cannot unsee. (laughs) 
And can I just say, get on a different soapbox for a minute? <laughs> yes. I hope that for my children's generation, the mass market of porn is actually like more female positive. Yeah. Like, can we yeah. make sure that women are actually having a good time and also like steering the ship instead right. of it being dominated by men who totally. are like dominating women? Yeah. So I'm not like anti-porn, but I would just like it to not be so degrading to women. Yeah, right. So it you seems know. like not a big ask, but yeah, yeah, like, that's just like the standard. Yes, like Terrible. sex should be positive right. and for fun everybody. for everyone. Yes. Okay. So agreed. Soapbox over. You that's didn't our podcast official position right. on that. You didn't think that you're going to hear that in a cookbook club podcast. Here we are. Here we are. On to other things. Yeah. Can I tell you about my big win? Yeah. Okay, my big win from this book is the Tex Leche's Chocolate Coconut Cake. It is a project dessert. Okay. It sounds amazing. So it's like a spin on Trace Leche's, but exactly. it's a Tex Leche's. Exactly. See what he did there? <laughs> <laughs> the Tex Leche's Chocolate Coconut Cake is four different recipes put together to make like a very epic cake. Oh my God, that's so many recipes. So first you make a chocolate cake. Okay. It's delicious. It's just a really classic chocolate cake. It's very eggy. Like it has seven eggs in it. This makes a gigantic cake, like a nine by 13 sheet cake. And is this a cake recipe that's separate from the Trace Late? Like it's its own dessert recipe in the book? No. Or it's just like as you're going yeah, through the like recipe, all you make it? Yeah, four of these recipes are all part of the recipe okay. for the cake. So it's this is a project. Like give yourself a day. You make a delicious eggy chocolate cake. Then you make some chocolate graham crumbs, which is basically graham cracker... It's like almost like a graham cracker crust mixture that you would make with like some butter and sugar and a little bit of salt and then cream and cocoa. You're not making chocolate cookies that you're then pounding into crumbs, are you? No. Okay. You actually just use graham crackers. Okay. Okay. Good. I have yeah. made recipes like that where it's like, yeah, yeah. what the hell? You want me to make a ginger cookie to right. then just make it into a crust? Come like, on. Pass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's where the store-bought comes in. No, you just use graham crackers made into crumbs and you mix them with cream and butter and cocoa powder so they get chocolatey. Ooh, sounds good. So good. Then you make a cocoa coffee milk, which is a liquid mixture of coconut milk, cream, coffee, and sugar. Okay. Is that hard to make? No. It's just another thing, another it's just dish. another thing. Yep. And then the fourth thing is a cream cheese frosting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm in. So a tres leches cake traditionally has condensed milk, evaporated milk, and heavy cream. Okay. Mixed together. But here, instead, you're making this cocoa coffee milk. So mm -hmm. he's really brought, like, a chocolate dimension and a coffee dimension for like it gives it definitely like more depth cool it's so good you make this cake and then you like douse it in this milk mixture uh-huh so it's like super loaded and then you put the cream cheese frosting on top and then you dust it with these chocolate graham crumbs my goodness that sounds a little it precious is extremely <laughs> decadent it was really good. Okay. It was like worth every penny. <laughs> was it, was that like crumb topping worth it though? When yeah. you were like, you those just crumbs were so good. Like I wanted to like tip the thing up into my mouth. Okay. Like, they were so yummy. I think it was worth it. I like a project bake. So if that's not your jam, like this might not do it for you, but this was really special. And we had it at our cookbook club event and everybody was like, what is this? So that was my big win. But you know, I also had a fail from the dessert section. The recipe is a cinnamon fennel concha. So a concha is also called pan dulce sometimes. Uh -huh. um, it's like, you've probably seen it before. There are these beautiful Mexican pastries, essentially, mm -hmm. that look like a shell. Like concha is, means shell. 
And I've had them before, like from a Mexican bakery. They're delicious. They have like a crust on the top almost. Mm -hmm. And then they've like scored the crust and that makes the shell. I've never made them before at home. I tried it and it was a real fail. So it's an enriched dough, essentially sort of like a brioche. Uh So the dough, you know, the dough has like milk and egg in it. And for whatever reason, this dough did not rise well for me. Okay. So it just from the beginning was not coming up they call for one packet of yeast i wonder if they the recipe didn't give it enough time to rise because usually Possibly. those like enriched doughs need a really they long rise time. because of like the egg and the milk yeah, totally well here's the other thing there's a mystery egg in this recipe <laughs> <laughs> he lists out all the ingredients for the concha dough uh-huh. and the last ingredient is one egg okay that's the last time the egg is mentioned are you supposed to brush the egg on the top and he forgot to tell you that Who knows? Who knows? He does not mention it again. It doesn't come up. Where did the egg go in your recipe? It went into the dough. Okay. Because it's in the dough. I mean, like there's there's a recipe for the dough and there's a recipe for the streusel paste that goes on the top. I see. So I put it in the dough because I've made, I mean, like a brioche dough will often have an egg in it or a challah dough will often have an egg in it. And I was like, okay, so maybe that's the problem is that I put an egg in there and then it was too dense to get any lift. Okay. So that's possible, but that's not my fault. I didn't put the mystery egg on there. Yeah. It didn't rise very well. And I was like, oh boy, this might not be going to like a good place. Then I rolled it out. It was like too hard. Like it was hard to get into a ball, Mm -hmm. which you're supposed to roll them into balls. You make this streusel paste, which goes over the top, which is butter, powdered sugar and flour. So it's essentially it's almost like a simple frosting when you that you would make with butter and powdered sugar. But then you add flour, which makes it pasty. Uh And then you chill it and then you roll it out. Then you have to cut it into a circle and like put a a little cap on top of each one. (laughs) In this recipe, you're supposed to cook them at 350 for 25 to 30 minutes. When you put that combination of butter, sugar, and flour in a light covering at that temperature, it just melts off of it. So I ended up with what looked like dense drop biscuits sitting in a puddle of butter. That sucks. (laughs) That's how they came out. That's terrible. And I was like, I'm just going to try this. And it just tasted terrible. Like it was too dense. It was too, it was just like a fail all the way through. The dough failed. The paste failed. I have to now make a concha recipe from somewhere else because I have to know that I can do this at home. Yeah. But this recipe kicked my ass. It was, I threw them in the compost. Like it was such a bummer. Not even my kids would eat them and they usually will eat my baking fails. I would be so frustrated too. I mean, that's like like hours of my day. And that's like the worst nightmare for any recipe writer is that they write a recipe that is just like a total fail for somebody. Totally. Well, I had a dessert recipe that was like very easy and not a fail and actually super fun. Okay. It was the sopapillas recipe, which I have never made before. And I, you know, probably have eaten them before. They're basically a flour tortilla that you fry in oil. And so it like puffs up. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so, of course, in this recipe, that's the nesting doll is that you have to make a flour tortilla, oh, which right. <laughs> I have never made before. Didn't realize I was going to be making that, of yeah. course, because the recipe is really short, you know, and so yeah. I'm like, oh, I can bang this out on a weeknight. No problem. Yeah. yeah. And then I go to make it and I'm like, damn it. <laughs> because the flour tortilla recipe is not difficult, but it requires 30 minutes of sitting time. Oh. So that was fine. I was like, OK, I guess I'm going to make it before dinner, let yeah. the dough sit. And then after dinner, I'll fry these up. And I did. And they were super fun. They kind of reminded me of like an elephant ear, which is something oh, yeah. that we have had like, you know, as kids growing up out here. And I don't know if they have them in other places, but 
My kids really liked them. I modified the recipe a little bit. And that's something that I found throughout this cookbook is that I had to use my own home cook intuition to be like, here's how I could make this actually a little bit easier or work a little bit better. So instead of like dusting the cinnamon sugar on them after they puff up, I was like, I feel like that's not an efficient way to do it. So instead, I just put all the cinnamon sugar in a Ziploc bag. And then after I was done frying all of them, they were still a little bit warm. So just one at a time, I shook them in the bag and I coated them very easily and fully. And then you drizzle honey on the top. So then I did that. And then I sprinkled a little bit more of the cinnamon sugar on them. The cinnamon sugar like I used maybe 20% of the cinnamon sugar mixture on okay. the full recipes wow so then I had all the cinnamon sugar left over which I'll figure out something to do with yeah it is sweet because it's crusted in cinnamon sugar sure. but essentially it's a flour it's tortilla, a tortilla. Yeah. yeah it's fun to watch them puff up sure yeah so that's like kind of a cool little science experiment who do you think this book is a good fit for let's get right down to it yeah <laughs> I think I think you have to be a cook I would agree. I think that you have to be a like intermediate to advanced cook. Because you're going to have to read between the lines a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to use that cook's intuition. You're going to have to figure out where to put that mystery egg. You're, you're <laughs> going to have to proactively modify the recipe yeah. for substitutions, I think. Yeah. To be like, well, I want to make this recipe, but right. gosh, this I'm not going to be able to do this. Right. You know, to make three things. Yeah. Three different recipes to make one recipe. So what can I sub in? Agreed. That's going to not compromise yeah. the flavor too much. I do think it could be a really fun book, though, if you like our friend Chelsea or like your mother-in-law or someone who grew up eating Tex-Mex and maybe you live in a part of the country now where you can't get it Mm -hmm. or, you know, if you get it, it's not quite the same. Then this could be just like a fun way to sort of bring you back to that. I thought about this a lot, actually, because... I'm really interested in making like Mexican food. I'm really interested in making like Asian, Indian, African, like all these different kind of parts of the world. I don't know what it is about Tex-Mex. Well, I guess I do know what it is about Tex-Mex in particular I'm not interested in. And I think it's because a lot of things are like fried and don't feel super healthful. Yeah. Like they're fun to eat and they're fun to eat when you're traveling, but they're not something that I really want to have in my home kitchen all the time. That makes sense. Which doesn't mean that every recipe in here is like fried stuff, you know? Right. There's lots of things that aren't, but I think you're right. On the whole, this cuisine seems a little heavy for a regular rotation, but boy, is it beautiful. It's beautiful. And I think that his next cookbook could be even better and they can like make it a little bit more accessible for a home cook, you know, who doesn't maybe have the time to make the full thing from scratch. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the big question of whether this does this cookbook deserves a spot on your cookbook shelf. I love it. It's so beautiful, but I I just I'm not going to cook from it very much. I think I'm going to keep it because it's pretty Mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. And maybe sometime when I have like a birthday party or something in a crowd, I'll make that Tex Leche's cake, which is the big winner. Maybe I'll try your big winner, which is that chicken chili tortilla soup. But other than that, a lot of it is just not going to be on my regular rotation. What about you? I feel like I am not going to keep this cookbook, but not because I don't like it or that I didn't enjoy the recipes I made from it. They're just not ones that I want to repeat enough. Okay. Like the tortilla soup, I will totally repeat. That one is an awesome one, but I can't keep a cookbook just for one recipe, you know? Yeah, totally. And I feel like half of the recipes in here are things I just know I will not make. Like they are too complicated or, you know, I'm not going to make like the fried funnel cakey thing from the dessert section. Like that's not a dessert that I want to make in my home kitchen. Yeah. The octopus, like that kind of stuff. It's just not practical for how I want to eat at home. Yeah. 
And so the other recipes that I'm left with then are half of the recipes in this book. And they're not things that I really also want to make on a regular basis or they're too time consuming. Right. Right. I get it. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Check it out, but maybe from the library. Yeah. Take it for a test yeah. drive. And then it's like it's a little bit tough, but it is really beautiful. And it seems like a good gifting book. Like it seems like a book where if you know a foodie and they love this cuisine, like they would have such fun cooking from this. Yeah. We sure hope that you guys will join us next time when we'll be cooking from Provisions by Suzanne and Michelle Russo. Sarah, why did we pick this book? It's really interesting. So it's a Caribbean cookbook and it's a vegetarian cookbook and it's very focused on ingredients from the Caribbean. So specialty ingredient alert, but I think it's really unique and really cool. I'm excited to talk about that one. It's going to be great. Cook along with us between now and then. Just tag us on Instagram at cookbookclubshow or send us a voice memo or a comment at cookbookclubshow at gmail.com. You can find us online at cookbookclub.show. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss the next one. And leaving us a review helps other home cooks find us too. We'll see you next time. Thanks.